Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, we are in this series going through the book of Titus, and uh, we are working our way through it, and we're talking about all the way through, just kind of being reminded about how the the power of the Holy Spirit coupled with the good news can really change a place for the better. Like, like Paul had this amazing hope that that uh, sending a guy like Titus, a faithful disciple maker, to go to a rough place like Crete to put the, the churches in order, to kind of get things organized and go from church to church or region to region to these small gatherings of believers and help them get organized and get things laid out, identify the right kind of guys to lead the church as elders, and then really kind of give them some uh, real solid base uh, teaching uh, as he would go from place to place. Paul actually had this enthusiastic hope that that if he would do that, it would actually transform a place like Crete. And if he had the, the hope that it would work there in a place where the even their own uh, Cretans said about themselves that they were liars, drunkards, cheats, gluttons, uh, if, it, if it would work there, then certainly it could work here or anywhere else any of you are from or would go to. And so I just love that that hope that that helping people do church God's way, do following Jesus God's way, can actually not only transform us, but it could transform our whole community. And so uh, we're going to look at that a little bit more today, in particularly this idea of team. And and one of the things that I really like is uh, movies. Uh, anybody in here real movie like like movies? I'm pretty keen on about any kind of movie except scary movies. Can't do it. Like if it's scary and it's PG-13, it's past my pay grade. I just can't do it. I'm a big old chicken when it comes to scary movies. Don't like it. And uh, but outside of that, I really like movies, and I especially like movies where there's like transformation stories, where there's uh, like people that are not so great, or the whole group of people is a big mess, and they're mad at each other, or things are broken and not working, and then somehow the whole group gets changed around, like the movies that come to mind when I was thinking about this, like what are the movies that really appealed to me? Like Gridiron Gang, Coach Carter, uh, Remember the Titans is a classic, right? There's another one that was not a sports one that was called Freedom Riders. I don't know, it's a little bit older one, but it's about a school teacher lady that kind of turns this class around. And, and, and in all of those, there's this common story, right? There's a group of people that are pretty dysfunctional, they're mad, they're, their life's not working very well for them, their life's not working very well together and then somebody comes in with hope and somebody comes in with this hope that 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 they actually could bring something to them that if they would listen and learn and be teachable and coachable that 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 they could be actually transformed into something pretty amazing and so in the work goes right and so those stories always have this tug of war of like the person trying to help them and the people don't want to really want help and you get to watch that all unfold and then eventually they start to see some results that help them go like oh maybe this person is worth following or worth believing because what they're trying to help us with is actually working and you see the story start to change and the teams start to win and the results start to come and it's pretty cool but one of the things that you always notice in those movies is it ends up being less about how much the team wins 
and more about the story of the, the way the players' lives were changed because they submitted to the process, right? They, they kind of were coachable eventually and, and how their lives changed along the journey. And you end up with these little takeaway, you know, stories that it's, it's more about what they gained in relationship along the journey than it was about how many games did they win. Now, that makes for great movies, right? That storyline makes for great movies. It's not unique to Hollywood. It's not even unique to good coaches or good leaders. It's, it's a story that God has been promoting uh, since the beginning of time. God has been inviting people to uh, trust Jesus as the perfect coach. You know, like that idea of, of really... Um, answering his invitation to be on the team, so to speak, and then to be coachable and be willing to be teachable and transformed by following Jesus. And, and it's always this idea that, that you could actually have this hope that, that a ragtag bunch of people in different places, whether it's Crete or Pullman or Moscow or Coeur d'Alene or Lewiston or you pick it, that you could gather people together and invite them onto the team to follow Jesus and put their faith and trust in him and by the grace of God, get membership, right? Get to be saved, get to be a part of Jesus's team and that as you journey together, that there's this hope that you could actually be transformed, not only individually, but collectively, into something that is amazing, right? And it, and it involves this idea of following Jesus. I also like to think of like just this idea of church being like a team sport and Jesus being like a coach. I don't get too carried away with running the metaphor, but just in general, it's a neat idea. I also think Jesus is, is also an amazing recruiter, right? He is so good at finding people and inviting them to the team. And it's oftentimes the people uh, that we might not have expected would have been the most, uh, you know, the MVP of the team. And it's like, whoa, he obviously knows what he's doing. And so there's this idea, like every good movie, that, that God has in mind for us to join the team and be coachable and teachable by Jesus. And, and I share that up front because I think it really helps us get a little bit of a concrete picture in the world we're familiar with to approach the text in Titus today that we're going to look at and help us have a frame of reference for what I think Paul was saying to Titus. And he was trying to help Titus know, you need to take this message to these churches. And so I want to look at that together. So let's jump in. We're going to look at uh, Titus chapter 2. It's going to be in your notes. It'll be up on the big screens too. So Titus chapter 2 verse 9 starts off like this. says, slaves must obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Now, we'll circle back to the team thing in just a second, but I got to pause and do a little rabbit trail here. This is a, a one of uh, several times in scripture where slavery comes up. And I want to just pause and make sure that we don't just skip right over the top of it and kind of uh, like blatantly ignore that we just saw Paul acknowledge slavery and he's literally telling Titus how to tell slaves how to behave. 
in the world we live in, that's pretty abrasive and it feels quite uncomfortable to go like, what is going on there? Like, I don't really like that it says that. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that. One, that the word that is used there in Greek is called doulos, and it really is commonly translated as a word called bond servant. It's a familiar, it's a term that's not familiar with us in the world that we live in. In their culture, a bond servant, uh, which is what Paul's referring to here, is more like a, a house slave or a house servant. It was common in their culture that a house servant uh, or a slave in that capacity had a much better life than the average free person and uh, oftentimes had way better uh, access to opportunities and education than a free person. All of that to say, I don't want to drive by the fact that they were still actually a slave. Like, I don't want to try and gloss over it and sugarcoat it. Um, the other thing I want to point out is the scripture talks about slaves, uh, this idea of being a slave in other ways. Paul himself, for example, opens up his letter to Romans by saying, hey, this is me, Paul, a slave, a doulos to Christ Jesus, and I'm a, uh, an apostle set apart by God to preach the good news. So he says about himself, I'm a slave to Christ. Now, as Christians and in kind of Christian circles, we can see those words in different passages and I think sort of not know how to handle them. And so we don't really do justice to either example. We sort of misunderstand or we don't like to look at it a lot because they're a little bit uncomfortable. And so I just want to make sure that we understand that in the first instance, when Paul's talking to Titus about slaves, he's talking about slaves. People who are subjected to the uh, uh, rule and authority of other people against their will. They don't, they don't choose to be a slave. They're born into it, bought into it, forced into it. They don't have free will to not be a slave. Paul, when he talks about being a slave to Christ, is talking about something entirely different. He's talking about being uh, willfully subjecting himself to the authority of Christ as a king, to be a bondservant to Jesus. It, it's a, a personal choice to change the way he's living his life as if Jesus is his master. And it's a different approach. It, while the, the language and the imagery and the ideas are similar, they're quite different, okay? And I just want to make sure that we don't just drive by that because it's a... a difficult subject to talk about. And oftentimes when people read about slavery in the Bible, it brings up way more questions than answers. And people often wonder like, well, wait a minute, what does the Bible actually teach about slavery? So I wanted to just pause and, and acknowledge that, but I also want to point you to some other resources available because I don't have time to, to do a whole rabbit trail on that one right now. But I don't want to just pass by it and ignore it. So in your sermon notes, you'll notice in there, there's a phone number in there that you can text to. And so if you just text the word slave to that phone number, it'll kick you over to a registration thing and you just sign up and we'll send you some more information to help you dig into God's word and some different commentaries and scholars on this topic to learn more about that. If that's something that's of interest to you, um, I just wanted to make sure that that we try and point you in the direction of resources that'll help you understand that in a little bit better context, all right? So 
back to Paul and Titus, what he's really trying to say to Titus here is, is that when a slave, even someone that is a slave, comes to faith in Jesus, how they live their life really matters a lot. They need to um, not steal, not lie. They need to live their life above reproach because if they live their life that way and they serve their master well, then what it does is it creates this great testimony that the, the truth about Jesus, the good news about Christ and salvation actually becomes attractive to other people. Now, the interesting thing about that is I think that's a true way of thinking for all of us. When anyone comes to faith in Jesus, how we live our life really matters. How we live our life really matters. And so that's kind of what he's saying to him there. Now, let's uh, jump into the next chunk right here in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope so that the, uh, so that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So salvation, right, is available to all people. Uh, every gender, every background, every race, every color, every creed, like salvation, everybody uh, is invited to be on the team. Everybody's invited to receive salvation, but with salvation also comes instruction, right? We're we're expected to live a certain way now. Yes, uh, we're hoping for heaven, that's what Paul is saying to Titus right here. He's like, he's like, stop living as though you're, you're godless sinners and giving in to sinful desires. Like now live a different way while you're holding out hope for heaven. And I, I know having been around Christian circles for a long time and connecting with a lot of different people over the years, it's not uncommon for people to love the idea of salvation and love the idea of heaven one day, but feel pretty disheartened and frustrated with life on earth. And they'll say things half joking, but half serious, like, you know, I, I, I'm glad at least I know I'm going, I know where I'm going when it's over, but man, in the meantime, this place sure sucks. Like, it's terrible here. And they talk about how bad now is and how wretched it is and how messy people are and how much evil there is in the world. And they kind of highlight how rotten it is now. And they present this idea that, like, I guess I'm supposed to just grit my teeth and grin and bear it until heaven. But that's a different type of worldview that isn't in line with what scripture teaches. That's not in line with what Paul wanted Titus to pass on to these churches. He actually said, like, no, you need to teach them to wrestle with, like, like, yes, you have a hope for heaven. But in the meantime, you actually need to change the way you're living now. Don't live like uh, people who don't have a God or are just given to all their sinful desires. Uh, this teaching, um, no surprise, lines up with one of the one of the really core teachings that Jesus taught over and over in different ways. And one of the ways he taught it is in Matthew six twenty four. He gave an example. He says that nobody can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. 
And so he's trying to paint this picture, right? You can't serve two masters. Uh, When you accept the invitation to follow Jesus, to be on the team, he's like, you're going to start to experience some tension personally. You're going to start to experience some personal tension when you commit to be on the team with Jesus, to, to sign up, to let Jesus actually be your coach, right? To, to, to be in the business of submitting, like Paul said, like, I'm going to willfully choose to be subject to Jesus's plan instead of mine. And what you, it sounds nice in theory, and it's cool when you start, and then tomorrow comes. And tomorrow comes, and you're like, the same as you always were. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to spend my money on this. I'm going to spend my time on this. I'm going to put energy into this. I'm going to look at who I want to look at, talk to who I want to talk to, say about anybody what I want to say about them. Like, because your normal default is you do what you want to do. You think what you want to think. You say what you want to say. And all of a sudden, what Jesus is saying is you're going to experience tension. You can no longer be the, your own master and say that Jesus is going to be your master, your coach, the boss of your life. You're going to feel some tension. And so what he's challenging them and challenging every disciple to do is to start to live differently. That language, that idea of like, don't live like you're, like you're a godless sinner. A godless person doesn't look to consult a God they don't have or believe in. You know who they consult? Their own boss of their life, me, myself, and I. When you live the me, myself, and I life, that's a godless lifestyle. You're the boss. He says, don't live that way anymore. Now you're challenged to be transformed, to live your life as if God actually is the boss, if Jesus actually is the coach. And so now instead of what do I want to do, how do I want to spend my money, I want to do this, I want to do that, all of a sudden you start to actually think differently. You start to go, okay, now life's different and I'm, rest, I'm putting on this new practicing that I have a, a boss and a coach to guide my life and I've watched the coach's results and he gets amazing results and I've seen him radically transform people's lives for the better. So he's a trustworthy coach and, and, and so I'm going to practice letting him coach me. And so now instead of spending my money the way I want to spend it or saying what I want to say or doing what I want to do, I'm going to pause and I'm going to go, hey coach, what should I do with this one? What do you want me to do here? What should I say here? I was thinking this, but like, let me run it by you first. And all of a sudden it's learning to be subject to, submit to, uh, Jesus as our coach, right? So jump back into Titus uh, two, chapter 2, verse 14. Um, it says, he gave, his life for, uh, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So again, Jesus makes this great sacrifice to pave the way for us to join the team, right? We accept that invitation, but it's not without expectation. He says that, that he gave his life to free us from every, from every kind of sin to make us clean, make us right with God, like we're totally square, clean slate, all wrongs cleared up. Um, and, and he does that so that then he can make us into 
his very own people. Like that's a little bit like the language of a guy, uh, a, a coach signing up to give everything he can to make you into the winning team, right? Like we're actually being bought, paid for with a price, accepting an invitation to the team so that we can be made into something, not just stay the same old us, to be transformed and changed. And it says that he's going to make us into something, his very own people that are totally committed, 100% sold out, all in, their whole life is all about doing good works. And so next week, we're actually going to unpack the good works because Paul will go on in the rest of the chapter to talk a little bit more to Titus about good works. So next week, we're going to really unpack the good works. What are the good things that Christians actually do or should do? Or what does God have in mind for us when it comes to good works? Right now, what I want to do is make sure that we don't miss the middle part, the part where God is talking about making us into his very own people. There's this like, we like the salvation part and we like the let's get to the good stuff. We want to do good things where everybody's like, woo, you guys are awesome. But we forget the middle part. In all of those coaching movies and all those really cool sports movies, it's the part where they do all of that terrible exercise to learn how to like learn the fundamentals and be a team. And it's like the miserable middle part that we would all like to skip, Right? But I think it's important that we remember what a big deal that part is. Uh, I want to look at Matthew 4.19 with you. Uh, this is a passage that, as a church, we look to, to kind of get our definition of what a disciple actually is. And it's a, a pretty famous invitation where Jesus calls to Peter and Andrew. They're fishing. And um, you know it's got to be good if they're willing to give up fishing, right? Like, because... I like fishing. All right. If they were willing to stop fishing, it had to be good. So he says to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what's really cool about this is in the invitation, we really get a good idea of what the definition is. Like, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so I just want to break it down for you again. Like, let's make sure we're really looking at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? To be a a disciple of Jesus, you would need to follow him kind of obvious, right? And so he leads, we follow. That part's not so hard to wrap our brain around. The next part, a disciple of Jesus would need to be um, willing to be changed by him, which sort of brings up the question, changed into what? Like, what, is, what, is, what kind of change is he looking for? And that's the last part. Uh, a disciple of Jesus would be willing to be committed to the mission of Jesus, to become fishers of men in his fishing analogy, or disciple makers, right? People that can go and make disciples, that can make disciples. And, and I share that again because I think that's really what Paul is trying to pass on to Titus again. He's trying to say, like, listen, all of these places you go and all these little pockets of believers, these different churches that you're going to put in order, get the right kind of leadership set up in them. One of the things I want you to remind them that is so important is that, is that they're being invited to be changed by Jesus. We all like the, the salvation, God dies for us, pays a price for our sin, and makes a way for us to be right and have a clean slate with him, and it costs us nothing, and he offers it to us even before we're sure if we like him or not. 
Like that part sounds really nice. We like the grace, and then we like the, hey, I want to be on a winning team, but we don't like the middle part, the being changed by Jesus part. Whenever I think of this, I can't help but always think about the karate kid. Um, when, when I pop it up in my mind to replay it, it's the original, right? You know, Danielson. Um, some of you know Karate Kid with uh, Will Smith's son, right? Which is even crazy because now he's like a grown-up. Um, weird. That means I'm really old. Uh, and, and I think of Danielson, right, and the Karate Kid, and it's like he's a, I got the karate outfit, I got the karate headband, I got the book at home that I'm studying, I have the stuff, and now I found the perfect karate coach, right? Like this guy knows karate, so when do I get to the part where I'm doing amazing karate? Like when do I get to whoop some people, right? Like that's what he's all excited about. When do I get to be amazing? And, and we all know how the middle of it goes, right? You know, you know Mr. Miyagi, the disciple maker, he comes back to him and he's like, no, 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 Daniel's son, right? And he's like, paint the fence, right? Wax a car, send the floor, right? Your accent gets better as you go. Um, don't, you all have a Mr. Miyagi accent, I promise. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like we have to put a lot of effort and a lot of energy into this in-between part before we ever get to winning. Like you have to actually be teachable, be coachable, be willing to be changed and transformed. Um, and it's that pesky number two that always hangs us up. And I think that's where most people stall out. They love the idea of salvation but when it comes down to the rubber, meet, the rubber meets the road, like being changed by Christ, man, that gets uncomfortable at times. We'd like to skip the, the middle part. But that's not what God in, has in store for us. That's not what Jesus invites us to. He invites us to be changed by by him and and it, that changing that transformation very much like all of those cool movies that have a great story it's a a we thing he invites us to be changed by him in the context of relationship to be a part of a people that is being changed together and and it's the it's the journey it's the relationship along the way it's the god at work in us and through us that actually has uh, all of these wins in it are, that are the wins that we really needed to experience along the way. A lot of people have this uh, approach where it's a me and Jesus kind of faith. It's like come to faith in Christ and I, my relationship with Jesus is pretty personal. It's a very American way to look at things like my house, my garage, my yard, my dog, you know, my, like, my, 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 like we have a very individualized view of life that, that if you have all of your own stuff, you're actually better. Like we esteem to be self-sufficient and not need anyone. And that's not the way Jesus designed for us to be disciples. His model is not a me in Jesus model. It's a we in Jesus model. And he invites us to be a part of the team. And I don't know if you guys know this, but when you join a team, there's other people on it. And therein lies all of the friction and the learning and the transformation and the rubs, right? And it's pretty, pretty cool how this all works out. Now, I just want to mention, last week, 
I uh, had some fun and stretched some of you. Uh, some, it was no problem at all. Some of you, it was way outside of your comfort zone. And, uh, and it was fun hearing feedback. I heard stories. People were telling me like, oh yeah, you should have heard what the person behind me said or the person next to me said this. They were like freaking out. If you were not here last week, I, I essentially said, um, as a part of the sermon, we talked about discipleship. We talked about what a disciple is. I invited people to really consider, do you want to be a disciple and have someone invest in you and mentor you? Or do you want to be a disciple maker and actually mentor and invest in someone else? And then I challenge people to like take the next step and sort of acknowledge that, actually acknowledge it on paper, on their cards. And then we up the ante and pass buckets to like turn every card in. It was like, oh, I like the idea of thinking about being discipled but I don't know if I'm ready to actually admit it and have somebody talk to me about it. And so it stretched some people. Now, what was really awesome is watching and hearing all of the conversations that have been going on amongst people in their home groups and different people that have been uh, communicating with me this week has been amazing because what was really cool What's really, really cool is there is a whole bunch of people in our church that want to be discipled. There's a whole bunch of people in our church that want to be discipled. They want someone to invest in them and help them grow in their walk with God. What was also cool is there's a lot of people, honestly, pleasantly surprised, way more people that I, than I would have anticipated want to invest in someone else. And that was so encouraging that there's so many people that are like, yeah, I feel like I could do that. I feel like that's something God's calling me to is to be a disciple maker. And then watching those connections this week start to happen, like literally watching people go from a me and Jesus approach to a we and Jesus approach in the course of days. One of the things that was cool, I know this happened in several home groups. In our home group, it was really neat to see some of that actually happen before our own eyes. There was an older couple that was really feeling like we need to be or would like to be investing in somebody. We think we would like to disciple someone. And it just so happens there in our home group is a younger couple who is thinking, you know, it's time for us to sort of get out of our comfort zone and stretch and open ourselves up. And we would like someone to disciple us whoa, they happen to be in the same home group and already have relationships started. Voila, the ball is rolling, right? And then in our same home group to watch somebody, uh, we have several people in our group that have been divorced. Um, and one gal in our, du- our group who has been divorced and is still single was being transparent about like, I don't know if I'm actually qualified. Like I've been following Jesus a long time. I love the Lord. I know a lot. Like I think I probably maybe should, could, I don't know. But then, like, I've been divorced, and I feel maybe like I'm a little disqualified to make disciples. And then as she's been a part of church, and we've been a part of that conversation and our home group discussion, and started really wrestling with, what actually does it mean to make a disciple? It means to dig into God's word with somebody, to let God be our teacher, to let God's word be our instruction, and then to walk alongside them and talk about, what would it look like to live this out? And what kind of questions do you have? And how are you doing? And it's, your life is isn't the model. It's Christ's life that is the model. And all of a sudden she was like literally light bulbs going off going like, oh, I could do this. And by the end of one home group, 
She went from, I don't know if I'm qualified, to I'm really excited to find someone to disciple. Coincidentally, in the same home group across the way is another person who is single and has been divorced and is really working through her faith and wants to be discipled. Shocker, they've already started. That was just last Wednesday. And that was just a couple of them, and that's gone on over and over and over again. It's like when people lean in to God's plan for this team, for the church, it's amazing how quickly God can work to start to shape and change and transform us into exactly who he wants us to be. And I think a lot of times we get in our own way because we think about our own stuff and we think about how long it's going to take or how hard it's going to take and, and, and how difficult it's going to be or why we can't do it or why we shouldn't do it. And, and I think sometimes it's good to be reminded that God wants us to sort of just get out of our own way and say, hey, no, I just want to be coachable. I want to be teachable and, and I want somebody to invest in me and just trust like people in our group found that he already had somebody in mind. He was just waiting for you to ask. I just think that's so, so, so cool to see how that works. Now, I I just want to share something uh, as we're kind of winding down that talking about this stuff, it's easy for me to sit up here and talk about it, right? I get to just, like like I'm some sort of expert or something. I just want to have a little reality check with you guys is that talking about this, learning about it, preaching about it is really also really good for me and super convicting for me because um, I have a life experience that has led me, and I'll share a little bit about it with you, but that has led me to... um, need to be reminded often about how important it is to be we in Jesus, not me in Jesus. And I'll share a little bit with you, um, just because I think maybe some of you it will relate with, and I, and I want to help maybe you hear what you need to hear, the same thing that Jesus has reminded me of so many times. So I grew up with a single parent, um, and my parents got divorced when I was seven years old, and I'm the oldest of four. And I didn't know it at the time, but later, you know, years later, I figured out what my mom was brokenhearted, right? It was a really devastating experience for her. And she came out the other side of that lonely and brokenhearted and worked. And to her credit, she worked hard and took care of us and provided, made sure we had food and shelter and all the stuff. But there was really not much else outside of that. And so I grew up really uh, largely unparented. Um, a friend of mine said that he grew up as a feral child. I, I can relate. That's what I, like I had no influence, no parenting, no supervision, no accountability. Literally could do anything I wanted. So I'll just tell you, it's not a good parenting plan, right? And, and one of the things that happened is, although I know my mom loved me for sure, and I knew it at the time, it didn't feel like it in my everyday experience. It's one thing to logically look back as an adult and go, oh gosh, I know my mom loves me. I love my mom. But as a kid, in that experience, it didn't seem like it. And so what I started to do is develop a really awesome set of how to survive alone skills. How to make sure that I'm okay if there's nobody. Well, that skill set is really important if you're alone. But when you get invited to the We and Jesus team, the skills that I've learned my whole life actually work against me immensely at being the team player that Jesus wants me to be. 
And so I'm just, I just want to be transparent with you that like, this is a never, this is an ongoing struggle for me to keep remembering like, ah, gosh, like, like self-preservation, isolation, making sure that I'm okay on my own has never been what God's design and God's plan is. And I have to fight against the tools that I learned are not the right tools to be a part of the team that Jesus has invited me to be a part of. And so I just share that because maybe that helps some of you and relates to you and helps you um, kind of have permission to struggle and know that it's okay that you're wrestling with letting go of some of your old stuff to approach the we and Jesus model a little bit differently. Um, one of the things that I'll finish with this is that Paul says that it's really not good to be super awesome at any one thing, right? Like to get, we all know this idea that if you have a strength and if you use it too much, like you really lean into it, it actually can become a weakness. And, and that's something that uh, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about like if you, can, you can know everything, you can be super humble, you can be super generous, you can be super giving, but if you don't have love, you got nothing. And so there's this idea that when we come to this team, you can be like in all those sports movies, right? We always see there's like the one player that tries to hog the ball. You can be the most amazing this, but if you don't have the relationship figured out, you actually have nothing in the end. And that's what God's inviting us to is this idea of how do we figure out how to embrace the change that Paul talked to Titus about. To stop living like we don't have a God anymore. Stop just giving in to our impulses and our sinful desires. And, and while we're looking forward to hope in heaven, we actually embrace being changed by Christ now into the most amazing person that he wants us to be, a part of the most amazing team that he's trying to build. And so I'm going to send you off this week with a little mission, a little uh, secret mission on your own, right? Or uh, together. Um, in your sermon notes, I want you to just grab these real quick, and then uh, we're going to wrap up. So in here, you'll notice on the, the page in there, it says, uh, on your own, uh, outside a church, read and discuss with your group or your disciples. So most of you are in a group or in a home group or in some sort of a small group, or you've got somebody that you're engaging with in a discipleship relationship with now. And so what I want you to do this week is take this, and I want you to read through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and then on the back of the notes is sort of your guide to go through with your people this week to dig in and to really talk about what does it mean to have this kind of love that Paul's talking about? Like, how do we embrace the being changed into the kind of people God wants to change us into? These people that are known for our love, not necessarily our uh, strong, whatever our you know best skill is, right? And so I just want to say, when you do that, don't go do this on your own. Like, don't walk out of here and think, okay, I'm going to go do that tomorrow morning in my quiet time. Don't do it. Resist the urge to take the me and Jesus approach to studying this. Purposely take a we and Jesus approach to this challenge, to this mission, and dig into that with your people, all right? And then I'd love to hear how it goes. Hey, we're going to have the worship team is going to come back up. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and then we're just going to wrap up with some uh, worship together this morning. Let's pray. Man, God, we love you. We're just so grateful for you, for your word. 
We're so grateful for your, um, your coaching and instruction. I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to keep learning, keep growing, be teachable, moldable. Um, and God, we just want to say that we want you to coach us and change us into the people you want us to be. And we just ask this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.